0: Welcome to the Nutritional Revolution podcast. I'm your host, Kyla Chanel. I'm a performance nutritionist specializing in sex differences in sport. I work with athletes from all over the world through my online private practice and sports nutrition programs. We here at Nutritional Revolution are here to cut through the BS promoted in the media and give you the science, literally straight from the research articles, as well as share client success stories and experiences around nutrition and racing. Please keep in mind, this podcast is created strictly for educational purposes only and should never be used as a replacement for medical diagnosis and treatment. If you like what you hear today, we would love for you to subscribe and share. Hey, did you know as a new customer of Nutritional Revolution, you can save 10% off any of our recipe books, meal plans, guides, or programs when you use the code new NR10? that's N-E-W-N-R-10, to save 10% off your first order as a new customer. And our most popular meal plan is actually our menopause support meal plan. And we have this in a omnivore style as well as a plant-based style. And this is specifically targeted to address menopausal concerns such as weight gain, uh, managing bone health, your hot flashes, and it's going to focus on including specific nutrients like calcium and magnesium for your bones, protein, to support a healthy weight and especially phytoestrogens to help manage those hot flashes. This is broken down in a seven-day meal plan that includes three main meals and two snacks. So it's got your whole week covered. We give you a grocery list, that nutrition breakdown, and this is gonna be free of dairy, gluten, processed sugars, and is low glycemic. So if you guys wanna take advantage of that, check the link in the show notes and use the code NEWNR10 to save 10% off your first order. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Nutritional Revolution Podcast. We have for you guys Dr. Stacy Sims. I've known Stacy, I mean, for probably at least ten or fifteen years now. Um, she is a forward-thinking international exercise physiologist. If you guys aren't familiar, nutrition scientist, um, she's also striving to revolutionize exercise nutrition and performance, specifically for women. Along with her own business, she's currently the senior research associate with Sprins AUT University, supervising PhD students and writing academic papers. She's on the advisory board of several cutting edge companies, including Tonal Strength, Wild AI and Exos. Previously, she has directed research programs at Stanford and the University of Waikato, focusing on female athlete health and performance. During her tenure at Stanford, she had the opportunity to translate earlier research into consumer products to explain sex differences in training and nutrition across the lifespan. She's been featured on now famous TEDx talk and her contributions to the international research environment and the sports nutrition industry has established a new niche in sports nutrition. She's been named as a top visionary in several publications including the DMSE Sports Outside Magazine, and Triathlete Magazine, and has written more than 70 peer-reviewed papers, several books, and has regularly featured speaker at professional and academic conferences, including those by the U.S. Olympic Committee and the U.S. Cycling. We're super excited for this episode. We dive into all things menstrual cycle health, perimenopause, postmenopause, weight loss, abdominal fat, keto, fasting, you name it. We covered it. Um, so you guys are going to love this one. Enjoy we're super excited to dive into all things sex differences in sport, goodness, everything. I mean Stacy Stacy knows a lot of of all the things, postmenopausal, menstrual cycle stuff. We're going to dive into as much as we can with the hour that we have with her. So, thank you so much for joining us today, Stacy.
1: Yeah, no, it's going to be fun. I'm excited.
0: I'm excited. Um, as our listeners know, we will start with our two truths and a lie before maybe we say something that reveals the lie. So I will. I'll let you break those down for us first.
1: Okay. So um, I love living in New Zealand for mm. the fantastic skiing in
0: mm.
1: the northern hemisphere summer and the southern hemisphere winter. Okay. Um, another would be. The only bike I ride is a gravel bike.
0: Ooh, okay. I think I already know which one's a lie.
1: And <laughs> I cannot find good coffee in the United States.
0: Oh, okay. Okay. As I doing-
1: coffee. Very-
0: yeah, okay. I haven't heard any, like, I haven't heard anything specific things about the coffee in New Zealand being extraordinary. Um, I kind of feel like when you said the gravel bike thing, I feel like you, unless you, I feel like you did a lot of road cycling, So, but maybe you only have a gravel bike now. I don't know. I feel like that's a lie, but don't tell me the answer. (laughs) Okay. We will reveal it for the listeners at the end. Uh, But I also didn't think you liked winter sports. So I feel like the skiing thing might we'll find out. Yeah. Okay. Well, why don't you give us a little background? Um, how did you get interested and involved in goodness, female physiology, um, female physiology and sports, like what kind of drew you to this area of research?
1: Being a, a girl. <laughs> yes. I being a girl. Yeah. Um, yeah, I kind of say that in jest, but in reality it is because yes you know, being an active kid and doing all the things I wanted to do and never really being pulled. I couldn't do anything until I said to my dad, Hey, I want to be a Navy SEAL or army Mm. ranger when I grow up. And he's like, yeah, no, women can not do that. And I was Mm. like, wait. And that was like, right at the point when I was going to start university Mm. and then going to university and, and racing and being on the rowing team and doing all the training and everything. But there were times where the men's boat would just be on point and the women's boat would be a bit falter. And we just Mm. didn't seem to quite get the same kind of training metrics and, and get as fit as the men. So there was a little bit of discrepancy. So it was kind of curious. And at the same time being an ex fizz and all the references, like in the textbooks and in the examples were all the reference, man, women Mm. were not represented. So all of that was kind of like subconsciously circulating and then as people who've heard my Ted talk where I'm like, we're doing this metabolism lab and I'm just giving it my all. And then they throw my results out because it's quote anomaly just because it didn't look like what they wanted.
0: Oh. And I was like, wait,
1: I've standardized. I've done everything I'm supposed to. And my results two weeks ago were fine, but now they're not. So mm. what's going on? And then, yeah. people, Oh, well, you know, women's results are often thrown out or they're not included in research primarily because menstrual cycle and they're a bit too difficult to study and i i was like but i'm a woman like i don't understand why we're not doing this so that was yeah. kind of like the drive so you know from the academic perspective of being the kid who always asking why and then trying to push and now as a university lecturer going oh, i hate those kids who always ask why <laughs> but <you> know, <laughs> not really i love it cuz it's very curious but yes yeah. So it was that that opportunity to really try to find out what's going on as an athlete, mm-hmm. and then being an athlete and then answering the questions in the lab. And then just really having a different, I guess, viewpoint and viewing through a different lens than most people do.
0: Yeah. And did you start doing any like self experimentation on yourself at the time before I mean before any of the literature was out?
1: Not really, because it didn't really dawn on me to do that. I mean, yeah. you could keep track and and um like I was already keeping track of menstrual cycle because Mm -hmm. I had some issues in my teenage years of having low progesterone and Mm. coming back from anorexia and Mm. trying to get out of all that. So I was very conscious. And so that's why I got kind of thinking about, well, what is the difference? Like I've standardized everything. What is the difference? And it was menstrual cycle phase. Mm. So that was like a little seed that was planted. And then I went on to do my master's degree in overtraining because we were seeing an increase in overtraining yeah. and all the mood disorders. And I was like, I want to do it in women. I want to mm. see we respond the same because I feel like we don't. I feel yeah. like you now, like when guys overtrain, they get stronger and fitter and angry. And when girls overtrain, they get injured and fat and t- tired and depressed. Mm. And that's what we found. It's yeah like, the mood states are different. Immune system's different. As like surely, I didn't do an entire project that's completely different from the literature. And the only difference is the sex of the participants.
0: Yeah. Fascinating. Fascinating. Um, so excited for this whole episode already. This is going to be great. Um, so for our listeners who maybe aren't familiar with menstrual cycle phase, can you break that down for us? Um, assuming someone is not on a hormonal contraceptive.
1: Yeah, so textbook wise, they say that a, a full cycle is 28 to 35 days. With day 1 is the first day of bleeding, around day 12 or 13 is ovulation. And then around day 28 or when you start bleeding again is, you know, the end of that cycle. Um so the first about 14 days is the follicular low hormone phase. Caveat there, Around day seven, estrogen starts to come up by itself and it Mm -hmm. peaks right before ovulation. So they say that's a ovulatory phase because we see estrogen comes up as well as some other hormones. Then after ovulation, estrogen kind of takes a dip and then starts to come up again, but progesterone comes up. Mm -hmm. So then we're in the high hormone phase and progesterone is higher than estrogen. So if we're looking at ratios, progesterone becomes the predominant hormone in the high hormone phase, hmm. then they both start to drop off. And that's the end of that one cycle. And you get into the next one.
0: Awesome. That's, that is helpful. And, um, with that too, I, I, for our, many of our listeners, I'm sure probably have read your book roar. And, um, what was the name of the most recent book too? You had that you published next level. Next, next level. level and that's for postmenopausal and perimenopausal women or awesome yep. um so i'm sure many of them are familiar with who definitely have read roar but um the concept of maybe being or and or performing their best maybe on their period and i think a lot of maybe some women are like wait a minute no <laughs> can you, what, can you yeah. explain that to the listeners
1: yeah so i mean we've all been in this sociocultural construct that women are delicate flowers during their period and they shouldn't be doing anything hard. I mean, we see it even in yoga where you're not supposed to be doing inversions Mm. and it's all from a male construct. Because if you're looking at the history of how yoga came, it was women weren't involved. So Mm -hmm. it's just when women started coming involved and men didn't understand menstrual, menstrual phase, and women were put in like menstrual tents or Secluded away, so it's just been this ramification. And we look at at Western society as well, and we have the quote time of the month, and ooh, it's a period product. Let's not talk about it. So it's always been this tabooness. Mm-hmm. So we've been put in this box where we're thought that we have to be hiding, and we shouldn't be going to the gym. We should be quote, taking care of ourselves because mm-hmm. we're bleeding. Mm-hmm. But in fact, when those hormones drop, our body is now going. Okay, well, no egg was fertilized then. We better become really robust and get a really good immune system and get fighting fit so that we can produce a really fantastic egg that's going to be fertilized. So when those hormones drop, that's when the body is really stress resilient. Mm. And there are again, caveats in that, You know, every woman needs to track their own cycle and see how mm-hmm. they feel. If there's heavy menstrual bleeding, then there's ways of, of getting help for that. If there's mm-hmm. really bad cramping, there are things that we can do nutritionally to help for that. But from a f- physiological perspective, we see that there's an increase in our heart rate variability. We see mm. there's a decrease in our core temperature. There's better availability of accessing carbohydrate from the liver and the muscle. Um, we recover better from a musculoskeletal standpoint. And then from a mood and, and cognition standpoint, as we get to that mid-follicular, as estrogen starting to come up. We're seeing um, faster firing rates with uh, muscle fiber, but we're also seeing like more aggression. We're seeing more confidence. We're seeing more Mm self-efficacy and it's all in the eye of the body's really stress resilient and we want to be able to be out there and be like, yes, okay, I'm there. Um, And it's a biological survival thing because it's all in the eye of reproduction. Your body's like, yeah, let's do this.
0: Yeah, that's amazing. I remember when I was reading Roar, it was very validating (laughs) because it was just one of those things where I had gone through, I mean, all of my life having a period just thinking like, oh man, like it was just kind of like a constant, like every two week kind of like questioning of like, what is going on? And then you get that kind of like, yeah, essentially validation of like, why you're feeling the way you're feeling and like, Oh yeah, this is a pattern. Right. And that you're yeah. starting to, to notice it's aligning with your cycle, like coink dink, you know? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, so I think that was, that was really helpful. So we'll definitely link your book below for the listeners in the show notes. Um, cause people should definitely give that a read. And then you has plenty of courses as well. Educational courses too, which we will, we can talk about too and link those, but, um, So talking about menstrual cycle symptoms, I know cramping being one of the common ones, Um, you mentioned the heavy bleeding. Um, We had some listener questions submit about like low back pain and that kind of stuff from a nutrition standpoint. um, What kind of changes would you suggest or have you seen be beneficial maybe for some of these or all of these?
1: Yeah. So the whole um, menstrual cycle, like, breaking down the endometrial lining and the bleed phase is all based on an inflammatory response. So especially PMS and then the first couple of days of the bleed, we're having this significant inflammatory and then tissue release. And it's driven by prostaglandins that are estrogen receptor um, positive. So meaning that they're upregulated with estrogen. (laughs) We're seeing that there's an increase in magnesium and zinc utilization because (laughs) of an immune system and the muscle um, contract and get rid of the uterine lining. <laughs> um, so when we're looking at from a physiological perspective, how are we going to dampen some of this inflammatory response? Then we're looking at increasing the amount of omega-3 fatty acids that we're having because that directly affects that prostaglandin. So that mm-hmm. inflammatory um. Agent, and then mm-hmm. we're also looking at increasing magnesium and zinc because it helps like mitigate some of the cramping. Because now we have more available for immune system as well as the uterine muscle mm-hmm. aspect of cramps. Um, and then the other thing is looking at using an aspirin before mm. bleed, mm. an aspirin if you're not contraindicated because it's a non-reversible COX inhibitor. So that mm. means that when it goes and it stops the inflammatory response, it doesn't wear off whereas if you're using ibuprofen which is a reversible then that's why they say you know take it every 4 or 5 hours because oh. it stops working but after or when you start bleeding you have to stop the aspirin and switch to ibuprofen if you still need painkiller and anti-inflammatory because aspirin thins the blood and encourages bleeding okay so if we're looking at someone who has heavy menstrual bleed, so this mm-hmm. is defined as bleeding through um, sanitary products, having to change tampons every hour or, mm. or more frequently 80 mils or more loss, um, that put you into bed and you can't get out because of really bad cramping. Mm. That's a medical and clinical thing. And it's so prevalent in so many female athletes and they think it's normal we mm. don't talk about what is yeah. a normal bleed, what's a normal bleed pattern, how much do we lose. And it's around 37 to 40 percent of recreational female athletes that have heavy, heavy menstrual bleeding. Wow. And they walk around and like, oh well, this is normal and it's not. So you can talk to your physician about it. <clears throat> and one of the courses of action is an IUD, progestin mm. uh, only IUD, or you can get anti or you can get coagulant medication to take when you first start your period. So it stops. <clears throat> The severity of the bleed and severity of the cramping, hmm. wow. which isn't, which is not nutritional intervention, but it is an intervention. Right.
0: Yeah. Awesome. And I had heard, um, I might've been on an, in the recent inside tracker, pot, uh, w- oh, webinar yeah. you did. Yeah. I heard you mention something about potentially low vitamin D being oh, one of the yes. things you look into. Yes.
1: So we know that women who have really bad, um, PPMD and PMS, it's mm. linked to vitamin D status. So women who have really low vitamin D or on the cusp of the low end of vitamin D, they mm-hmm. exhibit more of the symptomology of, of um, anxiety, depression, bloating, cramping, really severe PMS. Mm-hmm. Because vitamin D is tied to so many things and I'm still learning about it.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And it's also tied to iron metabolism.
0: Mm-hmm. So women who
1: have really bad um, PPMD or PMS, and low vitamin D, Then they have with a heavier bleed or maybe a seven-day bleed, and they are losing more iron, then it feeds forward to even worse symptomology. So they get into this cycle, and so it comes back to vitamin D status. If we're supplementing with vitamin D based on blood work, Mm -hmm. then we feed forward to reduction of of the symptomology. We have better iron stores. Our body can absorb iron better, and then it feeds forward to just getting
0: better. This is so interesting and just, uh, anecdotal experience with my, n equals one of myself. Um, I would, I listeners will love to hear this. I'm sure, but I had, have always had horrible menstrual cycle cramp pain. And, um, and I now in this career, I'm always looking for, you know, what, what are the things I need to be changing or, or testing. And I've tried like the low saturated fat before, and I've tried the omega threes and the magnesium and like still nothing. And then, um, I just got consistent with vitamin D dosing every night, even in summer. And all of us, it took me a couple of months and, um, And all of a sudden I was like, Oh my God, I have my period and I am functioning. Like I can work, like I am not in bed. This is incredible. Um, and it was the only thing I changed. And so, but I did not do lab work prior. So I don't know how low potentially it was prior, but, um, yeah, anecdotally, anecdotally, I think that might be a little bit of what's been helping me personally, um, and I still do the omegas and the magnesium and all these other things to just kind of like stack it. But um, but yeah, I think that's a really interesting area. And I'm very curious. And I also have not had super great iron levels all my life. Um, yeah. so I should I should lab test now and see what's going on there as well. So yeah. that's an interesting one. Yeah. And, and then good. people
1: always end up like on the low end of normal, and physicians are like, ah, oh, you're in the normal range. Like, yeah. yeah. that's not normal for an athlete.
0: Right. Yeah. And
1: then it's like, well, how do you actually increase your iron stores when no one's going to help you out and you have to self supplement? And it's every other day during your follicular phase because that's when your body mm-hmm. absorbs iron the
0: best. Oh, well, that's good to know. I didn't know that. So every other day during follicular phase, iron supplementation. And do you have a suggestion? I think we had it was uh Dr. Alana McKay, we had on here and we were talked a lot more so about like prep for altitude stuff, but um do you have suggestions of like form dose, um, time of day consumption, anything like that with um, women in particular?
1: Yeah, I like carbonyl iron. Okay. So it's the it's the most bioavailable and has you know the least amount of, of side effects. Mm. And put it into the timing, right? So it's mm-hmm. like if you train first thing in the morning, then yeah you don't want to take iron in and around training because hepcidin's elevated right. for three to five hours after training. So take it at night, even mm-hmm. though naturally hepcidin is coming up a little bit at night, right. it's better to take it at night than it is to take it around training. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. As for dosing, it depends on how low you are. Because yeah, could just, You need 15 milligrams of elemental iron, or mm-hmm. maybe it is up to 45 milligrams of elemental iron, mm-hmm. but the Carbonyl, like over the counter, I think you can buy it and it's a hundred milligram tablet and you just take one of those every other day and it, you know, staying away from training and it really does help boost over the course of a couple of months.
0: That's really I, good to know. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. I will definitely give that Well, lab work first. Then I will come back and try, try it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, awesome. And then, so let's see, we covered kind of menstrual cramp stuff. You had some suggestions there. Um, back pain we had an interesting um listener question actually regarding back pain and them noticing in a a pattern pre-cycle um a little bit of a very individual question they mentioned they have had some like Hashimoto diagnosis and stuff like that I don't expect you to go down that rabbit hole but back pain stuff why why does that happen to some women pre-cycle and will the omega threes help with something like that or what's going on there
1: Uh, so we see that it's more where the cervix is sitting and often, um, right before the bleed, you get an, like I said, an inflammatory response and the cervix starts to become inflamed as well. And it pinches on a nerve or presses on a nerve. Um, so you can get some manipulation, ART or acupuncture or something like that to kind of help not necessarily move, but desensitize Mm -hmm. that nerve a little bit. And help with the pain. And then, if we're talking about because the cervix is becoming a bit more inflamed, then it's really looking at what kind of anti inflammatory things we can do. Of course, you know, the omegas and all the stuff I talked about, but also using um, turmeric. So, mm-hmm. you can use up to 10,000 milligrams of turmeric, but only in a very small amount of time. Mm-hmm. So, we look at it as five to seven days beforehand to do that 10,000 milligram dose. And then you stop when your bleed starts.
0: Okay. Five to seven days beforehand. Well, to put all these in the notes for the listeners, the the little takeaways, these are amazing, amazing tips. Um, Okay. So in terms of menstrual cycle stuff, I just want to scan my notes here quickly to see if we had any other menstrual cycle questions. I think the one other one that comes to mind is we had one specific to Um, assisting a teenage athlete, um, during her periods assisting in her, um, how to help her, the teenage athlete with her performance, basically during her periods. And i imagine this listeners meaning like maybe on her period, um, is the way it sounds, but any tips, Um, maybe she has some, I know we just talked about ways to solve painful cramps and heavy bleeding and that kind of stuff. Um, but any additional thoughts
1: as well? Right. So we need to educate our girls about it, um, that it's not a bad thing. And then giving some power back, like Mm -hmm. a lot of people feel like things happen to them with their menstrual cycle. But if you take the power and you're like, I know these things are happening and I can do something about it. It's just a mind switch. Yeah. But what we found for a lot of teenage athletes, because their cycles are really irregular, hasn't followed, fallen into a normal pattern yet. Sometimes I'll have a really heavy Mm -hmm. cramping and bleeding. Other times it might not be so much might come in a regular time. Um, so being conscious that she's tracking and understands what's happening and is educated around the fact that, yeah, you can control this. You can perform well, you don't have to hide it. Um, and if you're prepared and you know, you're wearing dark clothes, if you're afraid of bleeding through, or using um, period undies or something like that. So you don't bleed through if it's in a team sport or whatever mm-hmm. uniform is supposed to be. And um, making sure that you're staying really well hydrated and having lots of carbohydrate available for when you are actually training, these small little things really help. But the very first thing is having her become empowered about it by tracking and understanding. So then she could really pick out what are the symptomologies. Mm-hmm. Uh, Unfortunately, because there's an increase in PCOS and endometriosis globally, uh, not sure why, um, some of the severe cramping and pain can be from one of those symptoms. So oh, or okay. one of those syndromes. So getting you know if it's it's really severe and there's nothing that's helping, then mm-hmm. getting it checked out.
0: Yeah. Okay. Awesome. And then, um, I think maybe we'll move a little bit into like the perimenopause and postmenopausal women topic. Um, we did get some questions there. Um, some of them being around weight loss, um, some being around keto and fasting. And I know you're very versed on all of these questions, so I will let you start wherever you want to start in that bubble. Hey guys i just wanted to take a quick break to talk about our most popular meal plan the four week real food real quick meal program this program is one of the best ways to start meal prepping if you're completely new to it or to add more delicious recipes to your rotation we've included a full grocery list for each week so you don't have to stress about finding all the right ingredients and we also have included full macronutrient and micronutrients for each dish so you know exactly what you're putting into your body the best part about this meal plan is that you'll be fueling your body with delicious real foods. So if you're interested in getting your hands on this four week real meal plan and getting 10% off, check out the show notes. All right, let's get back to the show.
1: I'll put the keto thing to rest.
0: Okay. Right?
1: I'll put the keto thing to
0: rest. Yeah. So
1: the way that, um, kind of the whole idea that the ketogenic diet was fantastic for weight loss and- mm-hmm late peri-early postmenopausal women was because there were a few studies circulating that showed that postmenopausal women lost weight when they were using a ketogenic diet, like true keto. Mm -hmm. Uh, But the caveat is they were sedentary obese women. Uh. And so it was part of it was calorie reduction Mm -hmm. and part of it was the change of diet, but it was short-term. So Mm -hmm. they lost weight. And when you start extending it long-term, we start to see some adverse effects because of the gut microbiome. Oh, yeah. When we look at what's happening to the gut microbiome in the four to five years, it's leading up to that one point in time menopause. So mm. late perimenopause, uh, there's a significant change in the gut microbiome mm. because we are having this flux of hormones. So if we think about how hormones are metabolize, they're released and they go to the liver and they're bound by sex hormone binding globulin. And then they're excreted into the intestines through bile and there your gut bugs, unbind it and shoot it back out in circulation so it's Mm. your your secondary circulation of of your hormones Mm -hmm. when you start having fluctuation of your sex hormones and you don't have as much or you have a lot it changes the diversity because the bugs are like i don't need to be here so they Mm. get kind of killed off by another more dominant phyla Mm -hmm. and unfortunately the predominant phyla becomes the obesogenic phyla so we start to see increase in visceral fat loss in lean mass, cognitive disorder, that kind of stuff. So they're really looking at the link Mm -hmm. between body composition change and the gut microbiome. So then if we add the ketogenic diet on there, because people are like, I'm putting weight on and I need to lose it. And I've heard keto is really great. You're further creating disruption in the gut microbiome and it's not going to get better. Yeah. So we need to really focus on increasing the diversity of the gut. And that's. Mm -hmm promote weight loss, not the ketogenic diet, which, you know, people are like, well, what about fasting? And I was thinking about this earlier today. I was like, here's this thing that Western society talks is so fantastic. We have to do fasting where there are other countries in this world where they're quote fasting, but not on purpose. because right. there's food poverty, Yeah. So if we're looking at what's happened in this world, people are overfed, undernourished, putting on body weight, and they've forgotten how to eat. They're misaligned with their chronobiology. So when intermittent fasting comes up, I'm like, what do you mean by intermittent fasting? Are you talking like the severe 24? Are you talking about 16 on, eight off? Like, what are we talking about? Mm -hmm. Because when we look at women and fasting, if they are trying to do their predominant work and life in a fasted state, it backfires, because we have two areas in the brain, specifically in the hypothalamus, that is responsible for endocrine function, appetite, and body weight regulation. And they're driven by cispeptin neurons. So when women are trying to do their exercise and go through the day in the highly stressed state, which happens in peri and postmenopause, because you're more sympathetically driven, then the hypothalamus is like, hold, what's going on here? Uh, there's not enough nutrition to come in to support everything. So, the response, even after four days, is to downturn the thyroid. So, we start to have thyroid dysfunction mm-hmm. and then we lose luteinizing hormone pulse. We lose our natural circulating testosterone. And of course, any kind of menstrual cycle that's still there starts to get perturbed as well. So, when we're looking at fasting, it's like, let's just back it up and work with chronobiology, mm-hmm. where we know from new research that's coming out that men and women who break their fast by 8 a.m. and then they stop eating you know, 4, 5, 6 p.m. and then they break their fast again, end up with really fantastic health outcomes. They have better body composition, they have more metabolic control, better cardiovascular health, better cognitive focus. But those who delay eating until noon and after end up with obesogenic outcomes there is no um no positive outcome from their fast yes. and when they start digging into it it's because of chronobiology and the way hormones perturbate cortisol perturbates so when you are trying to do all these things and your body's like hey ready i'm up let's go and there's no food then the brain is like What? What? No, we can't do this. So it's in a it's in a a a flight mode. So Mm -hmm. you have this increased sympathetic drive. You have increased cortisol. You have perturbance to thyroid in both men and women, but it's more so in women Mm -hmm. because then when we're looking at from that survival instinct, men can really get by with lower calorie intake Mm -hmm. and still increase lean mass, become more aggressive, get fit because the brain is like, well, one, we have one area because fat for men, but also they have to go find the calories and bring it back. Mm-hmm. Whereas women disadvantageous to need more calories when there are none available So that's when they start putting on fat, they put on visceral cereal fat, they lose uh, menstrual cycle function, they lose luteinizing hormone pulse, thyroid starts to come down because it's in that conservation mode. So yeah. when people come to me and like, I don't understand what's going on, I'm doing intermittent fasting I'm putting weight on, uh, and I'm like, okay, because it does not work for women. Mm-hmm. It really does not work when you're messing with the time versus your circadian rhythm. So let's back it up. Yeah. Let's make sure you're out of low energy availability. Let's make sure you're eating in and throughout the day. We have good protein, all that kind of stuff. And then people are like, oh my gosh, this is how you should be eating. That's yeah, called normal eating.
0: Yeah. Um, <laughs> and, and this is the case, assuming someone's meeting their calories in their eating window when they are fasting still. Right.
1: Yeah. So instead of fasting, let's call it time restricted eating.
0: Yeah. yeah. So when
1: we see fasting, people are purposely restricting calories as well as having this eating window, mm-hmm. whereas time restricted eating is just eating in the day when their body needs it and then purposely not eating after dinner and making sure that they're not eating before bed.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I mean, a lot of the symptoms you mentioned are uh, similar to reds relative energy deficiency exactly. in sport. Right. Exactly. So, I mean, goodness, that says yeah. a lot right there. I think. Yeah.
1: Yeah. It does. Yeah.
0: That's great. If you're
1: thinking about athletes, not eating enough and all the ramifications, mm-hmm. they're not eating enough to fuel what they're doing in the general pop, yeah. If you're not eating in and around when your body needs it, it's the same kind of messaging to the brain.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Jumping back to the, um, keto women following keto and the, the beast um, study population, did they, do you recall if they tested, um, like did DEXA or lean mass follow the lean mass trends through that test?
1: Yeah. And there was a decrease in lean mass and fat mass. So the mm. body weight loss wasn't just fat. Yeah. It was both.
0: Yeah. Wow. So, I mean, that, that is, we don't want that either. Right. As we get older, we want to keep on as much muscle as we can. Yeah, um, I will tell
1: you that once you hit your mid forties, it is incredibly hard to put on lean mass as a woman. Yeah. So, you know, you're out of the gym for a couple of weeks and you're like, what happened? And you try to put it on and it takes you twice as long to get it back. And Jeez. that's if you're conscious about eating and lifting. Mm -hmm. don't do anything. That's going to make you lose it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Shoot. Um, and you mentioned the changes to the gut microbiome, helping keep the gut microbiome healthy. Do you, what are your thoughts on all these like, um, probiotic supplements? Like should someone who's going through perimenopause consider that, or should they do diet changes first? What are your thoughts?
1: So I'm um, not a fan of the over-the-counter, like probiotics, prebiotic stuff, because mm-hmm. that's not what we're after. We're after that deep gut bacteria, the colon, mm-hmm. like the deep colon. But
0: mm-hmm.
1: so we need fibrous fruit and veg, because that's yeah. what feeds the bacteria, and that's the bacteria we're concerned about. Probiotics, if you're eating it through food, great. But mm-hmm. when you're looking at using over-the-counter stuff, there's still not a lot of, of evidence to show what the dosing is and the mm-hmm. strains, and all the strains are coming from one particular Company or a couple of companies, and so it it ends up being uh, westernized, I guess is the best way to put it. Where mm-hmm. it's all for one, and we're not looking at the individual. Yeah. And so I'm like, just do food, just mm-hmm. do
0: food. Yeah. Do you? <laughs> I know so many people who just they want a pill fix, right? It's just that's easy. It's hard to eat a bunch of fiber and hit, hit those targets, right? It takes that's a lot more effort. We're in
1: that- you know, that Western society where it's yeah. like pharmaceutical, take a pill. It's magic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> you have to do the work, even if you take the pill. <laughs>
0: um, to help our listeners maybe adapt this real food approach. What are some probiotic rich foods you suggest or high fiber foods you suggest?
1: Um. So for high fiber, it's you know, if you have a colorful plate of fruit and veg, mm-hmm. That's perfect. Yeah. You know, you know, eat the apple skins. Don't peel your apples. Mm-hmm. Jerusalem artichoke is really fantastic, mm. which you can get in California, but you can't get in New Zealand, which is depressing. <laughs> um, you know, anything that is, is plant based and mm-hmm. is has the fiber, and that's what you're after. Awesome. Um, when we're looking at probiotics, anything from kefir and kombucha, sourdough bread, anything mm-hmm. that's fermented, it's fantastic.
0: Awesome. Does balsamic vinegar fall under like in red wine vinegar? Does that count?
1: Yeah. A little bit. They're fermented. Yeah. yeah.
0: yeah. Okay. And then I'm sure people are going to ask about wine.
1: Oh yeah. No. Wine <laughs> in moderation, not.
0: man. <laughs> Does not count as a probiotic. No. Um, awesome. That's super helpful. And um, I just, and I keep thinking about the iron supplementation too, thing you mentioned during the follicular phase. That's fantastic. So For the listeners, um, kind of covering those changes, the keto, the intermittent fasting, what about when someone is say perimenopausal and or postmenopausal? Um, this is a listener question, actually, they didn't indicate menstrual cycle phase, but I'm going to put them in that box just for this question. Um, they're doing a lot of lifting. This is for over a year and they're struggling to lose body fat. Do you Mm -hmm. have any tips?
1: Yeah, this one comes up a lot Mm -hmm. and has to do with um, making sure that you are getting that adequate protein. So like there was a study that came out last week or the week before that was showing that 30 gram protein dose is essential post resistance training for Ooh. premenopausal women. And we know Ooh. that it's 40 in postmenopausal women, Yes, postmenopausal women. So we need more of those amino acids to mm-hmm. keep that muscle protein synthesis going to expand it. Um, so that's one thing we also know that when you have a higher protein diet regardless of what exercise it feeds forward to reducing body fat and a lot of women are like oh i'm eating enough protein but as you know in the industry that's usually not the case yeah the other thing is incidental exercise because we might go to the gym and we might lift heavy and we're like feeling good and strong, but then we come and we sit in front of a computer or, you know, we're sitting in a car driving places and we don't have a lot of extra steps in the day. So I try to get people to realize that, yes, we know that you go to the gym and you're considered active, but when we look at the research of people who go to the gym or they go on a bike ride or whatever, and they're purposely active, but then they're not active in the rest of their life, their body composition, their gut microbiome and their outcomes are just the same as someone who doesn't do any exercise. Wow. So you can't just come back from the gym and sit down and not do anything else so it is not finding tv parking and i say tv parking is right in front of the place where you want to be park away from it right because you're you in. You know I mean. like, yeah
0: <laughs> you <definitely laughs> i parked far from the grocery store front door
1: <laughs> park away yeah um yeah. And then it's like, if you're working from home, you're like, I don't have to go anywhere. Then you get up from your computer every hour and you walk around your house for 10 minutes. Yeah. Or you're on a Skype call. Oh, I found sound jaded or an old one. I say Skype, but you're on a call and you're walking around, right? You yeah. might not have the video on, but mm-hmm. you can go for a walk or have a walking meeting. I often have walking research meetings where we're all on a zoom call, but we're walking. That's great. I love, I love that. So it's just finding ways to put a few more steps in your day. Mm -hmm. And then we start to see it it shift. Mm -hmm. And then none of that works. Then we look at a slight calorie restriction at the end of the day. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. so again, it feeds forward to helping parasympathetic, helping with sleep. We have better sleep. We end up with better blood glucose control, better signaling to the brain that it's okay to lose body fat. Mm. So when I'm working with that late perimenopausal, early postmenopausal, and they're like, I'm lifting, I'm doing the protein, I'm doing the incidental, I still can't lose this extra bit of fat. Mm -hmm. I'm like, okay, small calorie restriction that we're periodizing in and then taking out right at the end of the day. So we're looking at dinner. Let's see how we can take an extra 150 to 200 calories away. Mm. Maybe we're not having that snack or nibbling before dinner. Maybe we're not having that glass of wine. Mm Just one small thing that we're taking away to really help budge that fat. And then that ends up working. And then all those people are like, oh, I only have two glasses of wine a night. And then they end up having one because they can still enjoy the wine, but then that extra 200 calories is gone.
0: Yeah, that's great. And I imagine if you're doing a reduction towards the end of the day, Maybe that's not coming from the protein source or you would keep that one high. Yeah.
1: The protein high. Yep. It's the other thing.
0: Yes. And then you had mentioned too, with the kind of like following a normal eating window and stopping eating how far before bed do you think to help with that? At
1: least two hours. Okay.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think, um, I don't know if it was Juliet who coined it, but she would she said to me the term the other day, nighttime obesity, because we were yeah. looking at her journal logs, right? And she's like, Yeah, yeah I get like a thousand calories at dinner. <laughs> like, and so yeah, she's totally like an upside down pyramid if you look at her her calories, right? So um yeah, shifting that around sounds like a smart idea to fuel you through your day.
1: Yeah, the I've had a couple of late meetings, you know, being down here, so Europe wakes up and it's mm. time for meetings. And I've had a couple late ones. One was at seven o'clock and it was supposed to be over by eight, nine o'clock. I'm still on the call and oh, I hadn't no. eaten dinner. Oh no, like, I'm hungry, but I'm not hungry. And I want to go to bed at like nine 30. It's too late to eat, yeah. but I need to eat. And so yeah. I was like, damn it. It's yeah. going to ruin my <laughs> <Conundrum>. sleep. <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> um,
0: that's actually, you bring up a great point. So I have had clients where we're, we are doing some periodized nutrition for their you know, tying it in with their, their training and, um, and they will get this kind of like right before bed hunger. And they kind of, from, from what they've told me is they say, I can't sleep if I'm hungry. So I have to eat something. Mm-hmm. Um, what, what are your thoughts on that is there, a, is there a gut tr- like training or digestion training that can be done eating timing training or, Part of it's mental. Like if you're watching TV at night and Mm. look at the ads, like a Uh, lot of the
1: ads come on and especially in the States, it's all food ads and pharmaceutical ads. So it's cueing your brain. Oh, that bagel looks good. Ooh, that chocolate looks good. So having hot drink, like could be hot tea Mm -hmm. or something Mm -hmm. without caffeine in it will help quell that hunger. Yeah. But if they are truly hungry, Then it's having, uh, you know, maybe a a quarter cup of, of Greek yogurt that might be two or 4%. So you're getting Mm -hmm. some fat and you're getting the protein, slow digestion helps with recovery overnight. Um, and I mean, those would be the big things where I'm like, yeah, okay, try that just to quell the hunger. Yeah.
0: Um,
1: and then, I mean, making sure that they're using something like L-theanine to get into Mm -hmm. that deep sleep because then Mm -hmm. they're not going to wake up. Mm -hmm. but if they are in a little bit of low energy availability, we see this a lot in women when Mm -hmm. we're periodizing training and nutrition is they could become hypoglycemic at night. And this Mm -hmm. is what a lot of the wake-up factors are. Mm -hmm. So this is where that Greek yogurt before bed really does help where they're like, oh, it's in my eating window. I don't want to eat, but we don't want you to be hypoglycemic at night. So having a little bit of that protein before bed Stops that hypoglycemic wake up, reduces the feeling of hunger, and then is not so detrimental to that timing because mm-hmm. it is protein oriented. Mm.
0: Awesome. That's great. Yeah. Um, and I want to be mindful of your time because I know you are in a different time zone. Um, it's morning for you getting, in, it's getting dark here for me, oh. <laughs> but um, I will, I'll jump to our listener question questions because we did have a couple other ones that we did not hit on. Um, so let's see one of them kind of ties into a little bit of what we're talking about right now. This listener said, is it bad to eat when it's dark outside? And I, I'm not sure if they maybe are a shift worker, potentially. Um, any thoughts on it, if that were the case? Um, so,
1: yeah. Now we look at circadian rhythm, right? So we know um, if you're a shift worker, it's really hard because like yeah. I work with some police officers who are mm-hmm. on for six days off before and they have two night shifts, two afternoon shifts and two day shifts. I'm sure wow. that Sid knows about shift work. Too, yes. Right? Yeah. So we make a precedence on We know that women who have circadian shifts really do need that protein Mm. because they fall into craving and and needing more fat from a brain Mm. perspective. But if Mm -hmm. we're putting the protein in, then it resets the body clock. Mm. And so we don't have an issue, but for men, it's carbohydrates. So Mm. we're looking at shift in, in shift workers and looking for men, men need more carbohydrates. But if we're looking at just the general person who's like, oh, it's dark out, I better not eat dinner. That's not appropriate. You know, it's more of like, what time did you wake up? When did you eat? And so it goes back to the normal eating thing.
0: Awesome. I love that answer. Um, The next question is, is soy a good way to get proteins in?
1: It depends on the soy. So if we're looking at all the, you know, research out there about the Japanese diet and how great it is, mm-hmm. that's a completely different soy type community than what you find in the States and anywhere mm-hmm. else, because it's not as processed. They're eating edamame, they're eating soy based foods that are not just tofu.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: When we look at soy protein powders, it's not a good protein because we are looking at 45 to 50 grams of soy isolate to get the same kind of leucine that you would get in a whey protein. Key mm. protein isolate, much, much better for you. It's mm. just slightly off the leucine content. Mm-hmm. We're looking at soy-based products to eat. I go into a US grocery store and there's rows and rows and rows and rows of products that are not food. Mm. In that is all, you go to the vegan section and there's all this tofurky and all these you know, meat substitutes and it's genetically engineered. It's highly processed. It gets absorbed in the upper intestines. It doesn't help the lower Mm. intestines. Like, no, just stay away from it. If tempeh, great, because it's fermented and it's a soy, there's soybeans in there. Ednami, great, fantastic. Tofu that's non-GMO. Yeah, that's a good source too, as long as you're not too sensitive to the soy. But as a Mm. primary protein content, There are so many other things to use, especially, you know, if you're looking from a vegan or vegetarian source.
0: Awesome. And, um, let's see, next question is with regards to HRT. Um, so if, if if you feel like you can answer this one briefly, I'm sure this could be its whole episode on its own, but, um, the listener says HRT, everyone is now taking low dose testosterone. Why is it an, is this an influencer trend?
1: It is a little bit of one. I was on a Uh, live earlier this morning with a a woman who specializes in menopause she's a doctor as Mm. well but medical doctor Mm. so I got the question about testosterone and the thing about it is that it's not discussed in peri and postmenopausal women because it's never been uh, associated with female hormones like they Mm. just assume that women don't need testosterone but women do need testosterone it does decrease age like men do but when we're looking at the upsurgence of testosterone supplementation, it is an influencer thing. Mm -hmm. We know that women do better when they have higher levels of testosterone or in the normal level. And when Mm -hmm. there's perturbations in peri and post-menopause, it's not about testosterone supplementation because it's not that regulated. We don't know the dosage appropriation yet, Mm -hmm. but we look at If you need it, then using estradiol patches or estradiol supplementation, because then your body can convert that micronized estrogen into testosterone and Mm. bring your levels up naturally or Mm -hmm. more natural than having a supplement. supplement.
0: Okay. Awesome. And then let's see, this one's related to cold plunging. I'm not sure how much, like they said, is cold plunging all it's cracked up to be? I'm not sure if that, if there's any female specific things there, are there? Oh yeah. We've yeah? done
1: a we've done a whole micro learning on um hot and cold. So oh perfect. we looking yes, at yes. like Wim Hof and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Baths, too cold for women. Oh. Our gradient um and our needs, it's around the 16 degrees Celsius mark. So mm-hmm. around that 55 degree Fahrenheit mark, we mm-hmm. start to see some good cold acclimatization at that temperature. You don't need the ice bath when we're looking from a health perspective we can look at using it a couple of times a week. Mm -hmm. It's really beneficial for women who have endometriosis, especially Mm. if they start doing some of the cold water immersion in and around ovulation and a few days after ovulation, because it dampens that inflammatory response and Mm. reduces um, some of the hyperplasia that comes with it. As a general trend, I always tell people heat's better it is yeah. is better. You get better outcomes when you are looking at heat shock protein, acclimatization, mm-hmm. blood pressure, um, vascular control. All of those things are much better from heat exposure than cold exposure. Okay. For recovery, recovery purposes. Women, if they're doing really heavy training blocks, then yes. Getting into cold water immersion for recovery mm. because we tend to vasodilate first after exercise and men vasoconstrict. So, men mm. naturally have that constriction response, but women need a little bit of extra help for that huh. recovery. Okay. So, there's a time and a place, but as yeah. a blanket, I don't say do it every day. It's great for your health.
0: No. No. Awesome. And with regards to the heat, I believe I've heard you uh, mention the women versus men. So, like, quote unquote, sauna protocol prep for altitude is slightly different. Is that correct?
1: Yep. So, when we're looking at some of the newer research that's coming out about heat and heat adaptation, it takes women longer to get those cardiovascular adaptations than men do. So, the typical like five to six days in a row that works beautifully for men, but for women, we need at least nine days in a row. And if you are in the high hormone phase or the luteal phase you don't need a primer your your body's already in an elevated um, temperature state its thresholds have shifted so you go right into the heat and your body's like okay now we're ready to really start sweating and and adapt if you're in the follicular phase and you're like okay i need to get into the sauna you go in for five to ten minutes exit Mm because you're priming your body to already to like shift the thresholds for sweating Mm -hmm. drive the core temperature up and then you exit. So the body's like, Oh, I'm already primed. And then you go in. Oh, interesting. You're 20 to 30 minutes in the sauna.
0: Okay. That's, and how long does, should someone stay outside of the sauna after they've done their primer?
1: Maybe three to five minutes.
0: Okay. Okay. Awesome. That's super helpful. Um, we covered our teenage athlete situation, covered our keto, um, This question, I think we kind of hit a bit of this, but is it true that women have the biological advantage in, well, actually we didn't hit this one, in biological advantage in endurance and muscle stamina over men?
1: Yes, it is. This is is my beef with zone two training.
0: Oh, let's talk about this really quick.
1: (laughs) Zone two training. When we look at zone two, it's all about mitochondrial health and Mm -hmm. more mitochondrial density and women already have that. Yeah. We don't yeah. need to do zone two training. Um, matter of fact, that's what our next vlog is all going to be about. Um, awesome. So when we're looking at the endurance aspect and fatty acid utilization and the muscle fiber typing, women by the nature of being women are born with more of a plasma protein CD36 in the mitochondria that allows more fat to come in and be used by the cells. Mm. We also have uh, more of a feedback from the liver to use um, free fatty acids and then muscle fiber as well. When we're looking at women tend to have more type one versus type two, but it is very area dependent. And then when you start adding estrogen and progesterone into the mix, we spare carbohydrate and use more free fatty acids as a response to progesterone going, I need all of these building blocks for the endometrial lining. So estrogen counters it and it's like, okay, well, we're gonna hold on to carbohydrate in the liver and the muscle. And we're gonna use more body fat because we don't want progesterone to steal everything because mm. we kind of need it. So yeah. it's more of a storage hold and a response to progesterone. Mm. So we're looking at endurance. Women are better at endurance and they have more um, muscle endurance than men. So we don't have to do the metabolic training and metabolic flexibility in the zone too. I tell people, do it if you want to be more like a woman. So I'm like, yeah, men have to do that to become more like women because we are. There you go.
0: There. Yeah. <laughs> I like that. That's great. Yeah, I did have a client recently where they they were doing a training for a long distance race and doing a lot of zone two. And they're like, I've never had more body fat on my body.
1: Exactly. That yeah. is it. Yeah. Right. And I tell women, it's like, if you want to become fat and slow, then do zone two and or moderate intensity exercise. Yeah. If you want to lean up, you have to totally polarize, drop the volume, do the quality work. Mm. Your recovery is more in that zone one, like embarrassingly slow, Mm. but you don't have to spend time on the volume because Mm. we are already metabolically and biomechanically predisposed to going long and slow
0: interesting that's great um okay well i want to be mindful of your time so i'm going to stop the questioner questions there and i'm just going to jump back to your two truths and a lie so um you said you love living and um in new zealand and i think skiing kind of something along those lines the temperature climate all that stuff um that you only bike the only bike you ride is a gravel bike and you can't find good coffee in the us i thought your lie was the gravel bike <laughs> which one was it
1: it's living in New Zealand and skiing. One okay <laughs> New Zealand's very far away from everything. And so yeah. I uh, need to get back to the Northern Hemisphere. And two, skiing, not my thing. Yeah. I would like to love it, but it's so expensive. I'd rather take that money and fly to Hawaii.
0: There you go. <laughs> Come on over this way. Um, so so coffee in the US is good. Is it better than New Zealand?
1: No. Yeah, coffee in the US is awful. As no. I can't find good coffee in the States. Oh
0: no. Uh, So is it really good though in New Zealand or where is it really good? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. There's
1: a whole bunch of micro roasteries and Mm. it's like the flat white's now a thing in the States, but it's not really a flat white. Mm. I mean, even going to Blue Bottle and you ask for a flat white, it's Mm -hmm. still not good. Mm. I'm like, that's not really a flat white. Even all the like the really good roasteries and stuff in the States, they still just don't have an eye to what happens in Australia, New Zealand, Mm. the UK. Europe,
0: up. So, yeah. I'm all I, about the cortados these days.
1: Yeah. I think cracked a little bit because I've been yeah. traveling to the states so much. You go and you ask for a double espresso and a mm. side of hot whatever milk you want, like steamed
0: oh. milk. And then
1: you can make it yourself.
0: There you go. Genius, genius move right there. Um, well, this has been so informative. So many good nuggets we have here. I mean, takeaways for myself, personally, selfishly. Um, I'm going to start implementing and doing some some lab testing on myself. But um, where can the listeners find you, follow you, all that good stuff?
1: Uh, so our website, and I say we because I do have a team. I wouldn't be able to do all this by myself. Yeah. Uh, website is drdrstacysims.com And so that kind of is the overview of all the courses, the books, the, um, upcoming launches. Uh, we have a blog and you can sign up for the newsletter. Um, it has a list of all the media and the research that I'm doing. And then if you're like, ah, oh, that's too much. Then social media, Instagram. And if you're still on Facebook, Facebook, Dr. Stacy Sims, and that's where you can find what I'm up to.
0: Awesome. Well, we will link your website below for the listeners and Graham handle and all that good stuff. So people can follow you. Um, and thank you again so much for joining us. This has been amazing.
1: It's been super fun. Thanks.
0: To stay up to date with the nutritional revolution, recent activities, follow nutritional revolution on Instagram and Facebook and sign up to receive the nutritional revolution newsletters on the nutritional revolution website if you guys enjoyed today's content please hit subscribe below to stay up to date on the latest nutritional revolution posts have a healthy day